Okay, it's time to commit. 2024 is the year for prioritizing yourself. Begin your new smile journey with Byte, and you could start seeing results in just two to three weeks. Just order your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95 at Byte.com. Byte Clear Aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces. Plus, they offer financing options, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA, FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot com. Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Sneakers and Cleats, the podcast. Welcome back to the Sneakers Cleats Podcast. It is December 4th, Monday. This is our 56th episode of the Sneakers and Cleats Podcast. That's Chuck McAtinick. I'm Matt Roy. Chuck, how was your weekend? It was good. You sound like you're getting over a cold a little bit. I was, so, but I timed the cold perfectly, which was on my days off, so I was able to rest <laughs> up and load up. Is that perfectly or is that not perfectly? No, That's it was perfect. I think you'd rather have it on your days off than when you have to come to work. And have to fight through some things. That's too, fair. So. Was it cold? You're just a little, little just a cold. Yeah, I mean, no fever or anything. Just you know, time of year, I guess. Yeah, you know, the seasons changing. It might be this cold, cold ass room that we're in. It could have a little <laughs> something to do with that, or other people in the department battling the same things, and it was I, just your turn. I know that Jack has been fighting off a cold here for a couple of weeks, but I he, don't think he's the only one. He, right? he hasn't been giving himself enough downtime. You know, he never has downtime to to fight this thing off. So. All right, well, you stay over there. Uh, no. <laughs> Just kidding. Message received. Uh, this is, anyway, episode 56. 56 is an easy number, I thought. Lawrence Taylor is, is the 56. Yeah, I, you know, I'm glad you wrote that down because, yes, that instantly now comes to mind, but I don't even think I could do a one over from that. I can't even think of a 56 besides LT. Um, Dolman as well. Chris Dolman? Chris Dolman's 56. Vikings guy? Mm-hmm. Was he a 56? I think so. He had Darn a good player. I remember 100, that. 160 and a half Yeah, sacks. he was. I think he's like fourth on the all-time sacks list. Ask any Packer Fifth. fan. They remember that guy. May yeah. not know his number like me, but yeah, he was really good. I mean, Lawrence Taylor. Is Lawrence Taylor the best um, defensive player you've ever seen? Got to be top three, Yes. Right? I mean, I don't know. There's so many guys today, too. I mean, the game has just changed. Like, there's so many more guys like LT and his talent, but at the time, because I think everything's evolved, right? I mean, mm-hmm. once you see one LT, then all of a sudden the goal is to find the next LT for everybody, so that raises the level of everybody's play. So dominant during his time, no, that's for sure. I, I mean, I don't know. Again, probably would translate, but, yeah. I mean, you know, Erlocker was really, really good too. I mean, and LT's he, just one of those guys. I mean, he ruined the Cowboys days for – years on end he ruined 49ers he ruined a lot of people during that era yeah no i mean he, i think he's the last defensive player to win mvp too i i think i that's for some reason i think he won the 86 mvp i think that's I'll sticking in my take mind your word for it <laughs> but i mean to win the mvp now it's it's a quarterback award and we'll get to dax um odds here in a little bit but to win mvp as a defensive player and to be as dominant as he was, I mean, Bill Belichick will go to his grave saying that Lawrence Taylor's the best defensive player in the NFL ever. So, I mean, to get someone like Bill Belichick or or um, uh, all Parcells. of the all of the yeah Parcells and all those guys to say like he's the best player that they've ever seen, 
it's, it says something about how good you are. So, uh, yeah, th this number was pretty easy. There was no, there was no uh, changing. I usually have, I'll put like four or five you, down. You do, and there's only one. Yeah, on this there's one. only one because uh, if there was ever another question as to who the greatest 56 of all time is, it. Sorry, the only other number I could think of was in in Greeny's book, which I reference all the time. Um, the he doesn't do it just based on numbers that they wore, but like records as well. Joe DiMaggio's hitting streak is is pretty up there too. That, like, oh yeah. If you think of fifty six, is it fifty six or fifty five? I always forget. See, if it's 56 you're gonna ask me on that. I don't know, but I would. I think it's fifty six. I think it's fifty six as well. So when I think of fifty six, I think of Joe DiMaggio just because of the hitting streak. What was that, it? Fifty four. See, now you're gonna it's make something my... like that. Okay. I think of. I bet it like when it's in the fifties. When we get to those numbers, yeah, it's never gonna yeah. be broken either. That's a, that's just a record that's never gonna be done. It's one of those like Emmett Smith's rushing record, never gonna be touched. Um, Cal Ripken Jr.'s uh, Ironman streak never going to be touched in, in history. Probably uh, Jerry Rice's record might might be touched just because of how prolific the passing game is. But now Joe DiMaggio is never going to get touched. It's like all those things are just records that will never be broken. But anyway, let's get to the rundown. So we have to talk about um, the CFP blowing up the world yesterday. Um, <laughs> Roger that. <laughs> um, we wanted, I think a lot of us were hoping for chaos when um like when we got to the final weekend because there hasn't been a lot of huge upsets this year usually you'll have like a top five team lose every other weekend and it makes the decision at the end of the year really really easy for cfp i think like that last year was pretty simple and then this year you didn't have any upsets you had three undefeated teams going into the final weekend or four undefeated teams going into the final weekend with uh fsu georgia uh michigan and washington Two, three of the four won, and two of the four made it. And so you had so many undefeated and so many interesting takes that, like, the CFP was going to be put in a horrible, horrible, horrible position no matter what to try and make the decision. But what they came out with was Michigan at one, Washington at two, Texas at three, and Alabama at four. And I think the general consensus is that that's the, that's the right four, but is it? I think you, you'll have an interesting take on this one. I do, and I don't know if it's the right take, but my general feeling is, is those are two really compelling games to watch, right? And I've said this all along, Matthew, that at least now we're arguing three and four as opposed to one and two like we used to do when I was a kid, right? right? So, you and know, sure I know we're splitting hairs, but to me it is what planet are we living on <laughs> that Florida State could win all of its games be 2-0 against the SEC, which has two one-loss teams in there, one coming in and one Alabama that's right, already yeah, you in you consider it. Texas, yeah. I get that their quarterback went down. I get that their backup got dinged. But you're telling the entire planet that 13-0 doesn't matter. That you ran your table, you played in a Power 5 conference, you played in a conference that beat the SEC head-to-head 6-4 to four this year, I believe. So why don't you take the argument even further? Why is Florida State a lesser team than Washington or Michigan that are both undefeated? So it's I, strength of resume and strength of record, though. Yeah, but obviously none, nothing matters when you take out 13-0. and 0. They're in a power five, and they were 2-0 and against the SEC this year. What more do you have to do if you're Florida State to get in? I'm glad Texas is in. I'm fully 
Texas belonged, that. belonged in there. I agree, but it's the you start playing the game of wow. Of course, this is TV driven, right? It's numbers. It's dots and tittles on a computer screen. It's coaches that are affiliated with commercial brands that support heavily college football. I mean, all that stuff makes you think that it doesn't matter what Florida State did this year. They won every game they could win, and you're telling me they haven't earned the right to get into the Final Four when there are two teams with one loss. See, two. I, I disagree with that a little bit. Uh, Kelly, would you mind lowering your volume over there for me? You're getting a little re reverb. Thank you. Um, I disagree with that to the extent that if FSU came out and blitzed Louisville and won 50 to 20 or 49 to 24, whatever Texas won by, uh, if you if they came out and did the exact same thing in Louisville, they'd be in. And there's no question about that. My problem with it is you, Florida State is absolutely the most deserving. If we were going based on their record and based on what they did this year, which people will argue is what you should do, they should be in the CFP. The problem with it is do you want to see a – team that has no chance of winning we don't know we'll never know we will never know that's they're, the sad part of this now, now you're right what, what, what i'm saying is i'm not disagreeing that those four teams that they have in those aren't going to be compelling games and i would even make the argument they're going to be more compelling games but it doesn't matter what i think what do you have to do to earn your spot into the final four and what what does what did Florida State what would they have had to have done differently to get in? Would they have had to have blitzed? They would have had to have blitzed Louisville and they would have had to have beaten Florida pretty handily. Well then why isn't Ohio State why isn't somebody making more of an argument for them? I mean, all they've done is lose a close game to Michigan. I mean, again, it is you're opening up a can of worms because it's it doesn't matter what I want to see, it's who's earned the right to be there. And ultimately, we're never going to know if Florida State would have given any one of those teams a game. They certainly looked the part during the course of the year. They looked more of the part, I freely admit, when their stud quarterback was playing. It's, this is where you, you know, again, we're splitting hairs. And I'm not saying that the CFP didn't have a tough choice or tough choices to make. I'm just saying... It stinks so that Florida I State's not in so there. So your ideal scenario would add Texas at three and FSU at four or vice versa? Yeah. Okay. I, or so, one of those one loss, to, how can you make the argument, this is me speaking, I'm not speaking for you or anybody else, how can you make the argument that a one loss Texas team, it's like, well, you shouldn't have lost to Oklahoma in a close game. Who's Oklahoma? Who are they? You know? See, but Texas has the best win in the country. They do. Over oh, Alabama. Second, second best win in the country right. now with Bama beating Georgia. Right. So here's – I mean, they had a no-win situation, the CFP. And someone was going to be pissed off no matter what. Mm -hmm. They, I swear on – I'll say this to my dying days. On Saturday night, they were hoping to God FSU lost because they wouldn't have put them in the situation at all. Because if FSU lost, they were out. FSU had to win that game. They won it just about as ugly as you could have won a game. Did you watch that game? It was – horrible to watch it was the ugliest besides the iowa michigan michigan game which was going on at the exact same time that both of those games set football back 50 years like it was horrible 
Florida State had 55 yards of passing in that game, and they somehow won because Louisville couldn't get out of their own way. Michigan ended up winning their game because Iowa has never played offense before, apparently. So you look at those games and you're like, is that team one of the best four teams in the country? At this point, right this second, Florida State is not one of the four best teams in the country. Yes, they deserve to get in. Yes, they deserve to be there. And next year, it's going to be a lot better because if you add the situation, they're going to be in. Right, and then we'll be arguing the bottom team. And then we'll be arguing three or 13-14 or 12-13, whatever it is. So, But again, it goes back to your earlier point about resume. Like, I'm not going to judge Florida State that's in there with their, what, their third-string quarterback in that game? Yeah. So, and then... Again, so even if that's the case, then at least they would have a month to get somewhat more yeah, healthy. Rod, at well, Rodemaker would play. Their their second string right. quarterback would play. Again, and so he's going to get a month worth of practice, a month with the first team, a month with the first team snaps, and that defense. How do you, we're never going to know? And I I think it's easier as we sit here the day after. You have fewer arguments that Bama or Texas or somebody should have gotten in, but not over Florida State because at least the default is, well, they ran the table. Yeah, they had some adversity at the end, that they, but they still overcame it, and they've earned the right to get here because they ran the table and they had a perfect season. So FSU to you deserved to be in? FSU, 100%. Okay, so who deserved it? So do you think it was Texas or Bama then? Texas. Because okay. they beat them head to head. Well, then why doesn't Bama deserve to get in since they beat the number one team in the country who had a tw- 29-game winning streak, this two-time defending national champions who have hadn't lost in three years? Why didn't Georgia deserve because to get in? Because if it's either or, because if it's Texas or Alabama, the one measuring stick that we have is the head-to-head. And, yeah, they're not the same team that when they played Texas earlier in the year. No, they're not at all. The quarterback's much better than he was, or he's playing much better than he was earlier than he was in that Texas game. But if that's the default – it's easier for me to be okay with all of that than to sit here and say, well, Florida State's quarterback's not in. They won, but it was ugly. That's just me making the argument. Yeah. I'm not saying you're wrong. I don't know that there is a right answer. That's just how either. I feel. I just hate that a 13-0 and team playing in a Power 5 and all this love for the SEC, granted, I know it, it is, watching A&M football all year long, I mean, you get a fist fight every single week. Those games are wars, and they erode your team every step of the way. So if you can end up at the end of this, like Alabama has, rightfully to be in the conversation, but if it's them or an undefeated team, then I say, well, I'm sorry, Alabama, you're out. Yeah, I think that I think that I think that the CFP made the hard decision, and um, I don't think a lot of people wanted. I don't think a lot of people were giving are giving them enough credit right now because I think that they made the hard decision to prognosticate, which isn't their job. Which and there's and I think there's two separate conversations there. Did they make the right call? Is one, and is it their job to make that call? Is two. Let's take the second one first. Is it their job to prognosticate looking forward and say, okay, what is how are these games going to be? How are they going to look like? Does Michigan deserve to get rewarded to play FSU or to play Bama? What's that first matchup going to look like? Um, what are these matchups going to be on TV? What's the point spread maybe? How, are, how competitive are they going to be? Is that their job? I don't think it's their job. They took it to be their job. So, so looking at the first one, did they get it right? I think they got it right since that's what they think their job was. 
is to prognosticate, look forward, how competitive these games are going to be. Is Alabama and Michigan going to be a banger? Is Texas and Washington going to be a banger, which is the repeat from the Alamo Bowl last year, which was a great game that we saw here uh, in San Antonio. I think that they looked forward and saw Florida State is going to be a 12.5 to 17.5 point underdog in any game that they play. You see it right now. They're playing Georgia in the bowl game. They're 12.5 point underdogs. That line's probably going to jump all the way up to probably 17 uh, by the time that game kicks off. Is that what you want? I don't know if that's what they want, and I don't know if that's what any of us want. Does Florida State deserve to get in? Absolutely, 100%. They deserve to spot in the CFP. They've said so. Everyone, I think, that knows any football at all agrees that they deserve a spot in the CFP. They didn't get one because they're uncompetitive, and they won't be competitive in those games. Well, I mean, did we think TCU was going to beat Michigan last year? I sure didn't until I saw it happen. I mean, again, we're never going to know. And I'm not saying that the four teams that they don't have in there aren't, to me, more compelling games to watch. If I'm sitting around the house and I have nothing else to do, I would rather watch – I shouldn't say – no, I will say. I would rather watch those four teams, the setups that they have, Alabama and Michigan, Texas and Washington, than maybe a Florida State getting in there. But I'm more familiar with those other four schools – but I don't know that at the end of this that I could say unequivocally that if Florida State gets in, do they somehow if do they lose to Washington? I think. That, I mean, I think. That or do they lose to somebody else? I, I mean, think that both. Know. I think that both things can be true at the same time. FSU got screwed, but FSU doesn't belong in the playoff. I think that both of those things can be true. I don't know that I can go that far. I think they deserve to be in there, and I don't know that they win, and maybe they get blown out, but they, they've earned the right to have the opportunity to get their ass kicked, and <laughs> if that makes any sense. You know what I'm saying? I mean, I, no, I get, I get it. I just don't know. How do you – like, if you can make the argument that a 13-0 team playing in a Power 5 with a winning record against the league, two wins – against no losses, against the league that has, again, one team from the SEC in and one that's coming in to the SEC, I think they've earned the right to have the opportunity to have a, to, to win a football game, whether you think they can win that football game or not. FSU, I think, is their best argument. Shaq Leonard just signed with the Eagles, by the way. Damn um, it, really? Yeah. Oh, okay. That's too bad. Yeah. What, what did he see yesterday that would lead him to that conclusion? <laughs> yeah, we'll get to that in a second. But I think that uh, – let me get my train of thought back here. Yeah, Shaq Leonard taking – he took a side. They just said someone took a side in the Eagles-Cowboys game this weekend. And it, it wasn't the Cowboys. <laughs> um, anyway, so to wrap up to wrap up this talk, I mean, it's it's – it's fun to talk about, obviously, the four games that are – that are or the two games that are um, – four teams for two games that are now set are going to be compelling. That's what you see with the two-point yeah. spread and four-and-a-half-point spread yeah. or whatever the spreads are right now for the two matchups that are going to be on uh, New Year's Day. I think that the best argument that FSU has is that, one, it's a bad precedent to set, and two, what else did you want us to do? It's it, You saw Mike Norvell and then the AD for the team be like, it's disgusting, it's despicable, any – number of words can be used to uh, describe this and they're not wrong like I said they got screwed but to when I think if all of us are sitting here in an honest moment to look at it and be like okay are you going to take Alabama out Alabama lost to Texas by 10 in Tuscaloosa it was probably the worst loss that they've had in years 
And then they came back and they beat Georgia and they won the rest of their games. Yes, they almost lost to UC- USF. Yes, they almost lost to Auburn. But you look at that and I can unequivocally say I think Alabama is a better team than Florida State. I can say I think Georgia is a better team than Florida State. I think Texas is. I think Washington is. I think Michigan is with Jordan Travis out. If you're looking at it holistically, the decision that the that the that the playoff committee made is the right one, despite FSU now having the biggest grievance in the world and being completely justified in saying that they got screwed because they did. I 100% agree with that. I mean, again, it's just one of those things we'll never know. I mean, you know, you just don't know. Zach Calzada beat Alabama, you know, and Zach Calzada is a good player, but it's like I don't know that anybody thought that he was a good player until he beat Alabama. You know what I'm saying? I mean – the, these could be an opportunity for the next guy to show up. I, again, we'll never know. We could we could argue this or discuss it, I should say, because I don't think we're arguing it, you know, till we're blue in the face. I just feel like, you know, it doesn't matter what I want to see. It's like who, you know, I want to see the Packers in the Super Bowl, but are they going to earn their way to get there? I mean, I mean after I that game last night, maybe. <laughs> Perhaps. So, you know, but but I don't want somebody to anoint them and say, here, here's the Super Bowl. Then that that doesn't feel right to me. In a lot of ways. Yeah, no, I get that. And like I said, it's we can talk about this till we're blue in the face. It's If they made the right call, if they didn't make the right call, at, at this point now it doesn't matter because we have two what should be pretty compelling games and we're going to have a champion. Um, it's just, it, it does suck for FSC, though. I feel bad for them. Go Texas. Go Texas, yeah. Wreck them all. Hell yeah. Uh, all right, let's talk about the Eagles losing. Huge, huge game yesterday, uh, Eagles 49ers, when the basically the 49ers just came out and kicked, it, kicked them in the teeth. Yeah. Um, the Eagles got absolutely obliterated on Sunday. And while that's good for the Cowboys, I think it, I, th- I, think I learned more about the, the Niners than I did the Eagles yesterday. Because I think the, that's fair. I think that we all thought the Niners were really good. Um, and they had that minor hiccup, the three-game losing streak in the middle of the season when they were all kind of questioned. But as long as Debo is healthy, as long as Trent Williams is healthy, as long as Christian McCaffrey's healthy, that team is the best team in the league. And I don't think I, there's any question about it. That's one team you don't want to play in the playoffs, That's right? one team I don't want to play anytime. Like in okay. the preseason, in the re- postseason, I don't want to play them in the regular season. I don't want to play them in my dreams. I don't want to play the Niners ever. Right. Well, I mean, I, I still look at this too, like the Eagles – I mean, hats off to those guys. Their schedule's unbelievable. The fact that their record was what it was, were they 10-1 and one yeah. before the game yesterday? And all those close games that they found a way to win, I mean, at some point you knew they were going to not be able to st- sustain that level of competitiveness. And they were apt to get beat by a really good team. And, you know, maybe not that convincingly, but hats off to what they're doing too. I'm not going to. <laughs> certainly won't write off the Eagles based on what happened yesterday. Absolutely not, but it just sets up such a huge matchup this weekend when you have the Cowboys-Eagles coming on Sunday night in Dallas for basically first place in the division. The Eagles can have a considerably easy schedule, easier schedule for the last four games of the season. Obviously, the Cowboys have a really tough schedule. I think they still have the Bills on on there. They still have the Dolphins. They still have the Lions, mm-hmm. I think, as well. And, and then, then they Washington. end against Washington. So, I mean, you have a... a difficult stretch while the Eagles this is the end of their hard stretch and then they have a considerably easier schedule going forward I think they have the Giants and and some of the lesser teams in the league you you get to this point where it's basically like win or go home for the boys this weekend and you're now set up in a position where the Cowboys 
will be in first place in the division if they win this game on Sunday. And then we'll see what happens in the last four games. Yeah, I'm with you. I think, you know, this is the point in the season where you go, look, the way things are setting up, the way we're playing at home, conversely, how we're playing on the road, they've got to win this football game Sunday night. Yeah, you it's a must you win. have to get home field any way, shape, or form. If it's for one round, two rounds, or for the whole thing, if you're the Cowboys, because this team just looks like, for whatever reason, you know, you are who you are at this point, I think, in a lot of ways. You have to do everything in your power to win a football game and give yourself every opportunity to try to get home field. Because if you've got to go out on the road with the way it's looking in the postseason in the NFC, it's going to be awfully hard to get to where you want to go. Does it, if not impossible. So last year, obviously, uh, the Eagles beat the Niners in Philly when they didn't have a quarterback. Does that give you um, any pause to question how good that Philly team was, or does it, or that that result? And like, do you think this would have happened last year too if if the Niners had a quarterback? <laughs> like, literally, if did they have uh, a maybe healthy quarterback? I, I guess I hadn't even thought about last year in that regard. But I mean, that's actually not a bad talk well because because Tr- Trent Williams after the game was like yeah it's a lot easier when you have a quarterback because last year they I mean Brock Purdy got knocked out because yeah. of his UCL and then Josh Johnson I think right. got knocked out because of the concussion they were literally playing Christian McCaffrey at quarterback they couldn't throw the ball and so it's like and of course you get smacked in that game it, it sucks when you don't have an MVP candidate as a quarterback so it, it draws into question for me how good this Eagles team is but it also did the same thing when the Niners blitzed Dallas earlier this year yeah, I'm not going to – I can't go that far with the Eagles only because, again, dude, look at the schedule and look at who they've beaten. And it's this is every week with them. It's, oh, my gosh, they got another big game. Well, this will be good because surely they're going to lose a couple of these and then the Cowboys are going to be right back in it. But that's not how it's worked out. I mean, they've taken on all comers and, you know, again, it's an uncommon opponent thing. So, you know, I, I would suspect they're going to – be much better this week against Dallas in Dallas. See, I don't know about that, though, because the the Eagles' health is questionable, especially Jalen Hurts. Jalen Hurts might have suffered a concussion, uh, concussion-like symptoms in that game yesterday. His knee's been banged up all year long. Are we really going to put this into Marcus Mariota's hands? Like how? I think the Dallas thumps him on Sunday. I really do. I think that I think the Dallas is going to come out and win by fifteen to twenty. That would be nice. I mean, but again. Marcus Mariota, even if he has to go, is capable. I mean, I don't know that. I don't know that I would get ahead. I I can't get ahead. I should say on on you know what the game might look like depending on who plays. Yeah. Uh, just think it's it's a rivalry game. Everybody knows what it's what's at stake. I think the Eagles this year are better than what they were last year at this point in the season. So, so we'll see. when we're sitting here next Monday, mm-hmm. um, if the Cowboys win. Will Dak Prescott be the leader in the clubhouse for the MVP? I think so. I mean, if the way things are going right now and the way it seems like the public tide has turned, I shouldn't say the public tide, more the pundit tide. I mean, the Cowboys are always, you know, the biggest target for everybody to shoot at because it is pretty much open season on the Cowboys because they've created an environment where you can attack them and they will still talk to the press and, they will still engage with the media, and they will still put themselves out there. To their credit, by the way, I mean, I, I mean, think they want that though. They do, and it's the reason why they're the biggest sports entity on the planet because they do take this on, 
and they do wear it as, you know, kind of a badge of honor, and obviously it's good for marketing and everything else. So I think think so. If Dak beats the Eagles, then that will be the narrative, and then I will still say that, man, there's still another month of the season left. Yeah, I mean, there was a a time today when he was the leader in the clubhouse. Like, he was the favorite at one point, barely. But now Brock Purdy has taken him over, and, and Jalen Hurts and Dak have the same odds currently, so they're both tied for second in the MVP odds. I think if Dak comes out, has a game like he did against Seattle, there's no question he's going to be the leader. and He might even be the odds-on favorite at that point to, to win the MVP. Brock Purdy is – there's a good argument for. Um, I think that the way that they looked in the middle of the season was was harmful to his candidacy. But as you come out and you are just killing people now, the Niners are the best team in the league. He's the best He's not the best player on the team, but he is the quarterback of the best team in the league. Usually that's who the award goes to. So um, the Cowboys – did you ever think that when we when they lost that Niners game, though, earlier in the season, that that was going to be like the, the tiebreaker for the first for the number one seed? Because it potentially could be. I mean, no, and I still I, – no, I really hadn't even thought about that either. I mean, that is fascinating that you can go that far back and go, jeepers, creepers, if it really comes down to that. Because I think if we're being fair – you know, the Cowboys are a different team now than what they were back then. They're much more cohesive on offense. They're attacking more. They're still not running the ball super great game in and game out. But, you know, they're they're a really good football team. You know what's crazy is that if the Cowboys – I was doing a little – I think this is right. I was doing a little uh, playing around with the ESPN playoff predictor uh, earlier today because I was bored and I have nothing – I have no better thing to do in my life than think about possibilities of playoffs. Um, I, if the Cowboys win this weekend, the Eagles and the Cowboys love identical records. If each team wins the rest of their games after that, the Eagles will win the division. Right. Cause they will have, have the, the tiebreaker. Com- they'll have the conference tiebreaker. Right. They'll have a better record in conference than the, um, than the Cowboys do because the Eagles lost to the Jets as one of their losses, not to, uh, the Cardinals being the Car- uh, Cowboys other loss. So that would be. That would suck if that's how the division gets decided. The Cowboys go thirteen and four or or fourteen and three, and they lose the division based on a conference tiebreaker because you lost to the Cardinals. That would suck. One hundred percent. I mean, that's why you gotta. Man, this game is so huge, and then hope for the best. I mean, do you think yeah, that this yeah. might be the only game that Philly would lose the rest of the year? This no. Game, this but, game's massive. This oh game, yeah. The, the implications on this game are are. All encompassing because there's if the Cowboys lose this game, there's no shot at the one seed, there's no shot at the division, there's probably fifth seed is your best is your best option, which actually you might want because you play Atlanta or the Saints. Right. So you actually might want the fifth seed. But still you won't get any home field advantage through any round of the playoffs and you're basically assured a conference championship exit against the Niners or a division round at uh exit because they're significantly worse on the road yeah and i i mean i don't think you want to go to san francisco that place has been a house of horrors obviously for the cowboys so i think it would be a little easier going to philadelphia just because your familiarity common opponent all that and mccarthy has said it time and time again he would much rather play a common opponent given all circumstances than an uncommon opponent all right let's get over to uh jeff trailer staying at uh utsa so there was talk about him in A&M. There was talk about him in Houston. Um, 
I th- you went to the interview yesterday, right? I th- mm-hmm. saw, thought I saw a picture of you there. What was what was Jeff's uh, Jeff saying yesterday, and and about the Houston job, about the Texas A&M job, about the speculation? Usually, he falls back on that on that uh, the phrase that he uses. It's good that my name is being thrown out there yeah. because it, it you know it means our program's doing well. It puts more emphasis on our kids and blah 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 blah. But what did, what did Jeff say yesterday, and how, what's what are the uh, feelings that you get about his job candidacy going forward in future years? My biggest takeaway yesterday was. Kind of what I thought, but maybe I needed to hear it, which is, you know, and he said it, you know, I know people are tired of me talking about wanting this for my program or that for my program or, you know, this many dollars for my program. But he says, it's my job to push this kind of stuff. I need to do what's best for the benefit of the program or what I think is in the best interest of my players and my student athletes. And, you know, because I think sometimes, you know, we live in a world I know I get tired of hearing some of that stuff every now and then, but he, you know, you think about it, he's right. That this is his job to push these things, and you know, maybe it's the administration's jobs to go. You know, maybe we don't need this, or we don't need this, or this is going to cost too much. I mean, you know, our job is to make sure that the entire student body is getting what it needs, so that we can get these kids towards their degrees and make them to be productive students and then adults young, when young they get one, out into women, yeah. right so you know i don't know there there is something to be said about having to be the or the aggressor in these type of things where maybe they are uncomfortable conversations but i think it just goes to show what kind of a leader he is too he knows there are situations that he's going to be in as a leader that he's got to push the envelope if he's trying to get his school in the most competitive situation not his school his football team the football team obviously is representing the school in the most competitive situation possible and all of the things that it takes to help get a team moving in the right direction, you know, and when he's comparing his school to the SMUs of the world that have more money than anybody and the facilities and all this other stuff, well, he wants to be at least in that realm yeah. so that he can compete for conference championships. So tell me this, if Houston was willing to buy him out, his $7 million buyout, do you think he'd be gone? I don't know, because I don't know that Willie Fritz wasn't the guy all along. And here's why. You know, Willie Fritz is, first of all, he's done an amazing job taking a Tulane program, which was absolute dog (laughs) you-know-what, and then flipping it to turn them into potential conference title contenders every single year. I mean, they beat With the talent that he's brought in, absolutely. He's a Houston-area guy. He coached high school football in Willis. His ties to Sam Houston State. I think Willie was the number one guy all along. If we're being honest, didn't didn't Jeff yesterday? I might be and I might be misquoting this. So tell me if I'm wrong. Didn't he say something along the lines of, "There's only a few teams in the country that'll buy out a set that'll pay that buyout." Right. And and it, my guess, my guess was that two of those, that one of those was A and M, and the other one was probably Texas. Yeah. And so I think that when he said that, it made me think okay, the Houston job was his, but they didn't want to pay the buyout. That's what it. That's just what it made me think. That's just total on that, the outside. I have could, no inside knowledge of that whatsoever. That, that could very well be the case. I mean, I don't know either. But, you know, because th- that is a sizable buyout. There's no doubt well, about that, it. But, I mean, again, he's also, he's also been on the record saying, look, this is good when my name is being tied to all these different places because it's amazing how quickly – People in your current situation will move mountains 
to get other things done that you want in the situation here that benefits not only him as a coach, but also his team and everything else. So he's said everything about leverage. And if nothing else, this created leverage for him at UTSA. Yeah, it almost seems like he was t- he was talking to uh, Robin Rudy this morning. I was listening to it on my way in over on our, our friends over at 94.1. Um, and he said, and Rudy was asking the question, like, did this kind of create leverage for you with Dr. Campos and, and the ADs and, and everybody in the Board of Regents and all that stuff? And he's like, I'm not going to say I used it as that, but we do need things. We need money for our coaches' salaries. We need money for nutrition. We need money for our travel budget and our recruiting and all that stuff. We have the lowest one in the AAC. And he's not wrong, but it almost seems like the timeline that he wants them to be on and he wants UTSA on is not the timeline that UTSA is on. It seems like there's two different frames of thought there. And it's difficult because I feel like Jeff knows exactly where this program needs to be, what he wants, and what, and he's continuing to beat the drum, which is exactly what he should be doing because he's the head coach of the program. But when UTSA is saying that football is the front porch of the program or front porch of the school, and you have them dragging their feet and not really being on the same timeline, it just seems like something's going to come to a head soon, whether that's Jeff leaving or them telling him to shut up. You know what I mean? It like, yeah, I mean, and I don't think they would ever tell him to right. shut up. You know, you, I'm just using that as kind of a sure. reference, but it just seems like they're on two separate timelines, going on two, like aiming at two separate things. But again, here's the other side of this. This is also, you know, he's a victim of his own success, right? It's like, well, you've done all of this with what you have already. Why do you need more to keep it where it's at? You know, part of the reason why. He, he got the job was because they felt like he could do these kinds of things, come in and win and win big, which he has done. He's fulfilled every bit of the obligation and honored his contract and doing all that and done it probably further than they could have ever envisioned, if right. we're being quite frank. But the bottom line is is that football's not the only thing that needs resources at UTSA. Right. So if you're the you athletic director, you're the president of the school, like there's the, the whole other side of the story. I don't blame Jeff Trailer for trying to get as much as he can to help him do his job. There are other things at the school. It, that, that's why, again, I thought the best part of what I heard yesterday was him saying point blank that it's my job to push this. So he's it pushing. It is. And he said, he said this morning on the radio too, it was like – I hope that in five years I'm still here and that we're in a new conference and we're playing for new championships. And I, and it, it, but it's that kind of thinking. It's that kind of thing where he says, maybe we're in a new conference in five years and that new conference would probably be the Big 12. Um, but to get to the Big 12, you have to be able to get your budget up to the AAC level, not just the Conference USA level that the budget is still currently at. Like you go from the big, you go from the Conference USA to the AAC, you need about a $45 million jump there. If you go from the AAC, AAC to the Big 12, you need a $100 million jump to compete with those guys. Like UTSA just doesn't have those resources. And so for someone who has the vision of Jeff and is as good of a football coach as Jeff is and as great of a leader of men that Jeff is, I think that he just – he's almost ahead. He's so far ahead of where he wants UTSA to be in his head, but they can't get there. I don't think that they have the ability to compete with these Big 12 schools and their budgets. No, they don't, not as we sit here today, but they haven't been around but can that they, long. Can they get I mean, there, though? At, that's the look, question. Can they? Yes, but I think this is not something that's going to happen overnight. I mean, if you move the bar 
slowly but surely down the track. I know he's trying to make leaps and, you know, more power to him. Again, he said that's his job to do these kinds of things. But, I mean, again, they've done it very, very, very well. Maybe the blueprint to how you even get to this point in a decade, right? So what's not to think that things aren't going to be done between now and the next decade? I mean, there's nothing that would lead me to believe that it wouldn't, no matter how you get there. I mean, it's not just Jeff Trailer or any other coach at any other school. you got to work with administrations and athletic budgets and everything else. I mean, these are internal discussions that everybody's having to deal with, and they're learning on the fly as they go, but you have to say they're doing it better than most as a group, not just as a coach. Absolutely. I I mean, and I don't want this to come out wrong. I hope that Jeff's here forever. I love Jeff. I hope that he is the coach at UTSA till. He doesn't want to be anymore, and that he leads them to multiple AAC championships and hopefully a national championship eventually. And since now it's going to 12, and you can now have a, a reasonable expectation that an AAC team might actually get into the playoff. So I hope that he's here forever. I'm just saying, I just don't think, um, I don't see him here for too much longer because I think they're on two separate timelines. But well, we'll see. That could be. I mean, again, I'll say this too. If he keeps winning at the rate that he does, he won't be here no matter what the buyout is. That's fair. Somebody's going to make him an offer he can't refuse. Yeah, I mean, they come out and they go uh, undefeated in conference play again and they end up winning the AAC championship. He's not going to be here any longer. Um, all right, let's let's skip the UTSA bowl game. Uh, we're going to have plenty of time to, to talk about that. And, and they're going to the Frisco Bowl on the Tuesday the 19th. Um, they were talking talking about going to one of the military bowls or one of the Fenway bowls, and they would have gone to one of those had SMU made a, a New Year's Six Bowl. They didn't end up making it, so obviously SMU gets bumped down, Tulane gets bumped down, and so does UTSA since they were third in the uh, conference. So they're going to the Frisco Bowl December 19th. Uh, we will talk about that plenty in the future, but let's get out of here for today. Real quick on the way out, it is my one-year wedding anniversary today. Uh, so Jordan, I love you. I will see you in a little bit if I ever get to leave work. So, uh, but thanks for putting up with me. Uh, like I said a year ago, um, thank you for choosing me as being the person that you want to love and I love you and I'll see you later. Um, well said. As, and it was a nice video you did too. And Jordan's you. lucky to have you too, Matt. Uh, don't ask, don't ask our parents. <laughs> she, they all, they all say I married up, which I did. So. It's all, all right. right. We all did. They make <laughs> us better. They do. Absolutely. So um, anyway, got to get that shout out in there. Uh, let's get to uh, that is it for the Monday edition of the Sneakers and Cleats podcast. You can remember to download, rate, review, subscribe, give us a five-star rating, tell a friend, tell an enemy. We will be back on Wednesday for the final High School Hype Squad edition of the Sneakers and Cleats podcast. Chuck is going to talk to Larry Hill here soon. How did I, you know? I don't know. It's not that he called you just right now a couple minutes ago. I know. I owe Coach Hill a call. Yeah, so well, he's going to talk to Coach Hill. We're going to play that entire interview on the Wednesday edition of the podcast. Um, they're not the entire thing, but we'll cut it up a little bit. Uh, we also talked to Coach Signs, who uh, is the Steelhead coach, and we talked to a few of their players after their big win on Saturday, so we'll play that for you as well. Davenport's head coach. We're going to hear from him. So we got all the sound for you on Wednesday on the High School Hype Squad edition of the Steelers Cleats podcast. Join us then, and until then, everyone have a good week. Have you ever wondered how to say good morning in Italian? Or what is goodbye in French? You can ask Alexa. Just say, what is happy birthday in German? Or how do you say hello in Japanese? Do you want to know how to say I love you in Spanish? Ask Alexa and start learning a new language today.